Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, again, I want you to turn to the book of Proverbs, and uh, we want to get to Proverbs chapter 4 again. And uh, last week, we were in 5, 6, and 7. We're going to finish that, those three verses up today. And last week, we took verses 5 and 6, and uh, I matched them up to a story back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And uh, the purpose of that was to, through that story, I wanted to show you uh, the biblical uh, principles and the model and the process of, of another concept of getting God's wisdom and getting God's understanding and then keeping it. And we know now that uh, from our past studies that the wisdom of God really focuses on you and your ability to know the Bible. And the understanding of God focuses on the aspect of you taking what you know and being able to use the Bible. And that's so vitally important, so absolutely important. And uh, the real issue that you find is, uh, and we talked about this last week, is the ability to, to hang on to what God gives you and not lose that wisdom and that understanding. And that happens quite frequently when you start getting into the real world and dealing with situations, and we'll talk about that more here in a little bit. And I showed you how that God in the life of Samuel in time revealed himself to Samuel as what he wanted him to do. And I showed you that's exactly what God will do with you. A lot of the problems we have in life, a lot of the struggles that we go through in life is simply because God saved us for a purpose and we've never fulfilled that purpose. It's just that simple. I wish there was some great you know, theological answer to many of people's problems, some great deep thing that we could look at. But the truth of the matter is simply this. Most of the issues that we go through in life, one, are issues that we put ourselves into. And uh, when we put ourselves into them, then we quit growing. And when we quit growing, that compounding effect that we've talked about so many times comes into our life, and, and this is where uh, we wind up with all kinds of struggles. And I showed you last week the complete study that pictures how God will take you through a process. God has something He wants to accomplish in your life, and He knows how to get it done. And what He wants to do is put a process in your life that actually brings you through. And I showed you that process last week in 1 Samuel chapter 3, of the spiritual growth in Samuel's life, uh, in a story dealing around the tabernacle. And how in time God established him, and as he will establish you, uh, to be what God wants you to be. In Samuel's case, it was to be a prophet to Israel. And as we know, if you know anything about the Bible, Samuel became one of the greatest prophets that Israel uh, ever had. Our spiritual growth will lead to our spiritual maturity. But one feeds the other. There's no spiritual maturity in our lives without spiritual growth, and there's no uh, spiritual growth is the road that takes you to that spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is simply your ability to not only know the Bible, but to know how to use the Bible. That's really the key. And uh, it, that you can know God in every way through the Word of God. Now, the thing that was key to Samuel's life last week, we saw that, was his attitude toward the Word of God. And it'll be the same thing with you and with me. I showed you in chapter 4, verses 19, that it simply said that, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. I cannot tell you how important that one concept is. If you didn't hear anything else I said last week, 
and just got that one piece of information. It's enough to change every aspect of your life. Then I showed you the five qualities that God looks for in us and what he looks for in, in people. The first one was in Samuel, he said he was a faithful priest. The second one, that he was a man uh, that would seek and get God's heart. The third one was a man who would get God's mind. The fourth one was a man that would uh, let God build him a sure house. Uh, and the fifth one was a person who would desire to walk before God forever. Five great character qualities. You can actually go down. If you take those five qualities, you can actually go down and do character studies in the Bible. And you actually see these things in people's lives. And this is what God saw in them. And this is what God sees in us. And God wants to develop that if we'll allow him to do that. Ezekiel chapter 22 has always been a great passage for me uh, in verse 30, where it simply says that God is looking for a man. Of course, we know that he's also looking for a woman. But he's looking for a man that will make up the hedge and stand in the gap before God. And when God sees those character qualities in that person, and God calls that person, and then that person responds back to God, then God begins that process uh, to add to them uh, the things that they need to get them to the point where they become uh, the vessels of honor that we talked about last week through the spiritual growth process. Now today, I want to focus on verse 7. And I want to show you how to develop in your life that wisdom and understanding of God, even on yet another level. And this will pull a lot of things together that we've already talked about, and you'll hopefully see some things even more clearly after today. Now let's read uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to go ahead and read 5 and 6 again, and then we'll tie it back into 7 here. He says this, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth, Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you for all that you do for us and for the word of God that you've given us. And I pray, Father, today that, that uh, you'll help us to see and understand how clearly and how simply uh, this thing really unfolds itself and, and lays itself out. So many pastors, so many churches, so many people want to make the Word of God so complicated. But Lord, you made it such a simple book, but we have to do it your way, the Bible way. And when we approach it that way, Father, it gives us the insight into understanding uh, what we need to have to get through the things in life we need to get through. And we'll thank you now and praise you today. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it, amen. Now, verse 7 says that wisdom of God is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all thy getting, get understanding. Now, I want to take that concept this morning for just a moment, the concept of wisdom being the principal thing. And I want to show you how that it all works in our lives today. Now, follow me through this. The Bible as the Word of God we know is truth. We know that. We talk about it all the time. And that truth has been defined for us in the book of Proverbs as God's wisdom. And this Bible truth that we have, the wisdom, when God puts it into specific teachings, we've talked about this, when God takes his wisdom and his truth and he'll form it into specific teachings in the Bible, we now know that those specific teachings are called doctrines. We've talked about it. Bible's filled with them. Now, when you get Bible doctrine, the teachings, the truth, 
on any particular subject. Then in time, as you build these doctrines in your life, these doctrines will form for you what we're talking about and what we call principles that you live your life by. This is why it's saying that wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the understanding and the knowledge and the truth of the Word of God. When it forms into Bible doctrines and you put those doctrines in your life, it becomes the principles by which you live your life by. It becomes the principles by which you now have at your disposal to make every choice in life that you've got to make. And we know from our past studies that life is about choices. So he says wisdom is the principal thing because it's that, uh, uh, that principle, that, that principles come from doctrine or they come from wisdom. Now, a principle defined will be simply this, a rule of action in your life. A principle is a rule of action. It's a hard, fast rule that you can govern your life by. It's a rule of action that you live by. And when you have principles in everything in your life from the Word of God, it forms for you a, a barrier of truth that allows no error to come in because you're always looking at it and you're always using it uh, in every aspect of your life. Now, I, I've told you this before, that we talk about principles and then we talk about promises. Now, there's a difference between principles and promises. Let me explain it to you. Not much of a difference, but you need to understand the difference. All promises in the Bible, and there's thousands of them, and I encourage you to make a notebook of promises that God has made to you over the years. All promises are principles, but not all principles will be promises. Let me show you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Uh, to the throne of David, to order and to establish it henceforth even forever. That is a principle in the Bible. That is a dead, rock-bottom, solid principle in the Bible. But it's not a promise. You go over to Philippians chapter 4, 19, where it says, My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's a principle, see? But it's also a promise. So, all promises are principles, but not all principles are promises that you can, you can apply uh, into your life as far as something personal to you. But a principle defined will simply be a rule of action. Sometimes when it's a, a promise to you, it'll be a rule of action right directly to you. My God shall supply all of your need. Sometime when it's in a general sense about history or what God has done through history or what God is going to do in the future, like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it's still a principle. It's a truth, but it's not applied to my life in the sense of, you know, uh, as a promise. That's not going to get me through tomorrow when I come up short in some things in my life. But it'll get me through and help me understand the Bible when I put it in its proper context. So you want to understand that aspect. Now, I talk about you having goals in your life all the time. I have goals for this church that I want to accomplish. And when I talk about accomplishing those goals in your life or the goals in our church, I'm simply talking about you getting to the place where you get God's wisdom which is the principal thing. And when you get God's wisdom, you know the Bible, and then you couple that with God's understanding, you learn how to use the Bible, then you'll get a rule of law in your life. You'll get a final authority in your life, 
an absolute standard by which you can judge everything that comes into your life based on the absolute teachings in the form of a rule of action, the principles based on the doctrine which comes from the truth of the Word of God. Now, let me show you how you begin this process in your life. And I'm glad the kids are in here today because this is something that, that even now, kids, you can begin to do in your life and your mom and dad can, can, can help you with it. And I think this is a great aspect. So I'm glad uh, that you're here today. And uh, my whole style of ministry and my whole uh, format of teaching and, and even in my preaching uh, will follow this line of thought if you, if you pay any attention to it. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, it says, give no place to the devil. Now, that's a great principle, great principle. And that is also a great promise, you see. And as you and I, we should not give any place to the devil. But, you know, what does that verse really mean? How do you do that or not do that? You see, when you have a principled life, the de- and you operate your life and make your choices by principles, the devil has nowhere to go. We give place to the devil when we don't follow the principles in the Word of God and we start getting creative with our own decision-making process in life. And we've all been there. We've all done that. And yet we could all exactly say today in one loud voice, we know how that all ends. And you see, that's the concept of, of a principled life. And when the Bible says, give no place to the devil, uh, you, you, you simply keep the principles in your life in everything that you do, every decision that you make, every choice that you make. You've got to learn the principles first. I'm going to show you that process in a minute. But once you get to that point, once you've accomplished the goal in your life that now you know the Bible and you know how to use the Bible, the wisdom of God and the understanding of God, now you come to the place where you have a principled life. Now, the devil can do a lot of things. I'd, I'd, it'd be a safe thing to say today that there's probably no one that knows the Bible uh, better uh, than the devil other than the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. The devil's main sphere is today and always has been religion. And the devil knows that Bible inside and out better than anybody. But yet the Bible, the Bible teaches us clearly, devil can do a lot of things. But I'll tell you one thing the devil cannot do. He can do a lot of things, but what he cannot do is he cannot get around the Scriptures. He simply can't. We see a great example of that in Matthew chapter 4, where we have the temptation of Christ. And, of course, the Bible says that, and there's a great doctrinal teaching behind this, and we don't have time to get into all of it this morning, uh, but it's a thing where the devil comes to Christ, and he tries to tempt him three times to get three, him to do three different things. He comes the first time and tries to get him to do something, doesn't work. He tries the second time to get him to do something, it didn't work. He tries the third time to get him to do it, it didn't work. And then the Bible says, then the devil leaveth him. Now, there was something about those three times and the door being shut every time that the devil just said, nothing I'm going to do here. And it wasn't the fact that he was up against God's son. 
It wasn't the fact that Jesus was the eternal Son of God, which he was. That wasn't the issue that stopped the devil. No, the thing that stopped the devil is the same thing that you can use to stop him when he starts to tempt you in his life because every time he came and tried to get the Lord to do something, the Lord just simply said, you ever notice he didn't argue with him? He didn't get in a theological discussion. He didn't discuss the issue. He just simply says, it is written. First time, it is written. He comes back the second time, it is written. He comes back the third time, it is written. And the Bible says, the devil leaveth him. You know why? Because when you use the principles of the word of God, he got no place to go. It's when we get creative. It's when we get moving in our own little world and sphere of doing all the things that we think we do and we get outside of those principles. That's where, that's where we give him place. Now, turn over to Isaiah chapter 28. I want to show you the actual process here. Because I believe that there's a lot of you here today that really want this. I believe you all want it. I just don't know that you're all willing to do what you got to do to get it. But Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, I call this passage the great building block passage of learning Bible doctrine. Now it says in verse 9 of chapter 28 of Isaiah, Whom shall he teach knowledge? That's a question. And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? That's a question. Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. That's a statement. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Now, there's the process or the beginning of that process. Now, we all have one thing in common today is we all went to school. And uh, <clears throat> our school experience, <clears throat> pretty much, no matter where you went, I went in Ohio, most of you went in Missouri, <clears throat> some of you went in Kansas, <clears throat> but our experience is pretty much the same. <clears throat> Along about the, <clears throat> I can't even remember for me, but I guess it's around the, maybe even kindergarten, first and second grade now, uh, they start to teach you how to read and write. In my world, I was nine before they started to teach me, but they knew that I was a fast learner and could pick it up. But they start way early today. And I remember two things about grade school. I don't know how much it's changed, but I remember two things. One, around the top of the class, there was always the alphabet. Remember that? And there was always a half-finished painting of George Washington. Remember that? I don't know why they never finished that sucker, I don't, uh, but it, it, it never was. And I, I remember, and I guess somebody at some point thought, well, kids my age look around a lot and don't pay a lot of attention. So I guess somebody had the bright idea, if these kids are going to look around in a rubberneck with a little bobblehead, then let's put the ABC up there so at least they're looking at something that is constructive. I don't know. It worked for me. But you know how it started with you. It started with the ABCs. And I just, I, I know, I, today, to this day, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, N, O, P, Q, I remember the whole thing. It's because that's what I went through in school. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But you started with your ABCs. And then you know where you went from there? You take those ABCs and you form little one-syllable words. You form the word cat, dog. 
I remember the biggest day in school for us was when you learned how to spell your own name. I, I flunked that. Bob Alexander. That was tough for a, a kid my age. I, I, I struggled with Alexander for a long time before I learned how to spell it. I envied the kids that, that just had short names like uh, Bill No or something like that, you know. But, but I'll never forget that day. But it was like the word cat, C-A-T, the word dog. And then the next level was to take the alphabet, form those little words, and now we put them into a sentence. Cat saw the dog. Dog saw the cat. And now a little bit later on, we developed longer words. And now the sentences got longer, didn't they? They got more detailed. Why? By the time I, uh, you get two or three years under your belt of that, now, you're, now, now your teacher says, all right, by Monday, write me a book report. You read a book and you have to write a report. You use all kinds of words. By the time you're a junior or senior in high school to graduate, they tell you, all right, you've got to do a term paper or do a thesis. Now it's really in-depth. After three or four or five years, you now have a command of the English language to the degree that you can just about write anything, use any words you want, but it all started, didn't it, with the ABCs. It's the way it is with the Bible. In time, you got command of the English language. And you follow the God's process, which is much like the same process, and in time, you'll get command of the Bible. You'll learn how to use it just like you learn how to use words. Just how you learn to write sentences. And it's the same way with the Bible and the Bible doctrine of getting to the principles. Bible doctrine are the ABCs of learning the Bible. It's just that simple. You build, when you get into the Bible, it starts with the ABCs and then you build precept upon precept. You build line upon line. And it tells you those things in there because that's what you do. Once you get to that point in your life where you really establish yourself of being able to use it, then you come to the place where you hear a little, there a little. You get some more on Thursday night. You get some more on Sunday morning. You get some more in your discipleship class. You get some more from your own personal study. And now you're building precept upon precept. You're line upon line. You keep adding to your faith the absolute principles of the Word of God. Now, now I, I want you to see this. He says, precept upon precept, line upon line. Now that is a now that is a that is a, a plumb line, what they call when you build a wall. Uh, if you've ever seen a man lay bricks, he, he puts a, a plumb line or a chalk line on it, and it runs from one end to the other. And when a guy lays those bricks, he, he lines it up to that line to keep that wall from getting crooked, keeping it straight. That's what he does. Now, the Bible says that your body and my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the day you and I got saved... We laid a foundation in our life, didn't we? And then we build on that foundation the rest of our lives. Do you know what we build? We build doctrine. We build precepts. We be, build principles. And just like a, a contractor will lay one block down at a time and get a road done, and then he builds on top of that, that's what we do. 
We start with the basic ABCs of the Bible. We go through the next level. We keep moving up levels. We keep adding a cart in that course of line, a principle upon principle, precept upon precept, line upon line. We keep moving the line up. And what happens is, is when you get saved and the foundation in your life is Christ, then you build on that the rest of your life. And what you build is Bible doctrine that leads to biblical principles that gives you the ability not only to know the Word of God, but the ability to use the Word of God. That's my goal for you. That's what I want you to do, be able to do. You see, in building a wall, in building a wall, you use bricks. And in building your body spiritually for God, you use the principles and the precepts that come from the doctrine, spiritual bricks, if you want to make it that. Not only do you keep the line on it that keeps it straight, Ah, but here's the word we're going to add to our little message this morning, and we're going to use this a lot. You know what a man, we don't have any brick walls. They're all covered with sheetrock down here. But if you tear this sheetrock off, you'd see a row of bricks. And the thing that you'd see about those row of bricks, that they're not just set on top of each other. Those bricks are set where they interlock with the other bricks. They do that for strength. If they just put them all up and all the seams are right together, it wouldn't be strong at all. The thing that makes it strong is the interlocking the bricks where the seam is here and then it's here and the bricks are interlocked with that seam. That's what you do with Bible doctrine. You're going to find that when you start to use the Bible and you start to learn principles and you start to get the Bible doctrine down, that's what they do. They interlock with the other doctrines. They tie themselves together. And the line upon line keeps you straight doctrinally. It keeps you from getting off into heresy and keeps you from teaching things or believing things that that are wrong. When you get Bible doctrine down in your life, that's what they do. They interlock with all the other doctrines and it keeps you straight and it makes you strong. And that's exactly how it works. Now, I've told you this a thousand times since we've got in the book of Proverbs. We know that life is all about the choices that we make. We know that. The decision-making process in our lives. We make bad choices in our lives, bad decisions, simply because we won't listen to what God is saying to us. It was just that simple. No, I know there's people that have never had the advantage of learning the Bible and, and they just get into a mess. I understand that. But that's not true of you here today because now you're listening to it and you're hearing it and most of you uh, are here uh, quite often that you understand uh, the Bible and have some kind of understanding about a principled life. But we refuse the process or we have it for a while and then we depart from it. We let the words drop from our mouths like Samuel was told that not to do. And we never simply get the ability to make good, solid choices based on Bible principles. We refuse to build our wall straight. We will not interlock the bricks, the doctrines. So we make terrible choices with terrible consequences in many cases. And I've seen this over the years. Uh, God's people who have been the king and queen of bad choices. I mean, uh, it, it, 100% of the time, uh, they, 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 it always go back to this fundamental issue. The simple building blocks 
of the ABCs of building upon that foundation, getting it all interlocked, keeping the wall straight, and growing up. The higher you go and build, the stronger you become and the more mature you come as long as your wall is interlocked with the other bricks and your line has kept it straight. That's the key. It's just that simple. And I'll say it again. You can see in any church, any church, the difference between people who have a principled life and the ones that don't. And we try to operate here, and I say it all the time, we try to operate as biblically close to the New Testament as we possibly can today. And we, we, try, to, we try to build a, a principled life based on a principled ministry. But the problem is in a Christian world that is filled with people who are undisciplined and totally unprincipled, that lifestyle and that concept's not very popular today. And, but I have found that in spite of all of that, that there are still many people who have, as I say, the right stuff. We talked about it last week, who want a principled life. <clears throat> I told you last week the story of, of Missy. <clears throat> She's not here today, but I told you the story last week of how <clears throat> she wanted to be discipled. And she went to her church she was going to back then, <clears throat> and she asked them four times uh, to get discipled. And every time the pastor said, well, I'll take care of it and get somebody with you, and never did. Typical pastor mentality. Finally, they got somebody hooked up. That person went over there and knocked on the door, came in and said, hey, we're here to disciple you. We brought the lessons over. You go ahead and read through them on your own. If you have any questions, you know, we'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll just call us. You know, that is certainly not the way to disciple. By the way, if anybody in this church ever does that, you'll be out of a job so fast you won't know what hits you. But you know why God does things like that? I told you last week. God was seeing where she really was. Sometimes God will hold back what you want just to see if you're really earnest in what you really want about it. Sometimes God just won't give it to you because you just want it right now. Do you do your kids? I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to ask that question. But you shouldn't do your kids that way. And sometimes God holds back. You say to God, why aren't you giving me this? Why aren't you doing this for me? God, are you mad at me? God, do you hate me? God, are you angry? God says, no, absolutely not, you idiot. I'm just wanting to see if you really want what you want here. Amen. And when God sees that, somebody, I mean, she could have just as easily got her nose better at her joint and said, well, God, if you're not going to give me what I want, I mean, I went once, I went twice, I went three times, I went four times, and you got some bozo come over here and threw the lessons down on the thing. I don't understand them. If I understood the lessons, I wouldn't need somebody to disciple me. She didn't, did she? She says, Lord, I want it. God says, you know what? You got the right stuff, girl. I'll get you out of that mess over there, and I'll get you someplace where you'll get what you need. Amen. Try to get her out of here now. <laughs> I had a kid last week, 18 years old. It was his 18th birthday. Lives in Nebraska. His mom said, what do you want for your 18th birthday? You know what he wanted for his 18th birthday? He wanted a 15-minute Bible study with Bob Alexander on the phone down in Kansas City. So I gave him his birthday, Christmas, and his next birthday. We went on there for about an hour, 15 minutes. <laughs> now, you know, I, I, I know this kid. I know him real well. I know his family. Uh, I love his family. And we, and we, they're, but I'll tell one thing about him. He's got the right stuff. 
You show me an 18-year-old kid today that what he wants for birthday is not a Corvette or not a Camaro or not a Firebird or not this or not that or a date with uh, whoever. You know, he, he, he wants a Bible study. Something going on there. <clears throat> Something going on there. But that's what you got. Now, all of you, if you're saved, you are in a specific spiritual growth process from on a scale from 1 to 10. I mean, it's just that simple. But all of us, our goal should be to get to the place in our lives where we get in our life to the point where we make every decision and every choice we make and every issue that we have to deal with on biblical principles to the best of our ability. Spiritual maturity is nothing more than a life based on sound doctrine and then your ability to use that doctrine in the form of biblical principles in everything that you do. And again, I tell you that wisdom is the aspect of knowing the Bible. Understanding is the aspect of knowing how to use the Bible and then learning how to keep it. Simply a principled lifestyle. Now, in a minute, I'm going to take you, and I thought about how to do this to illustrate it. I'm going to take you through and I'm going to show you uh, some easy examples of, of what I'm talking about. I'm going to take things that I've said in the past and I'm going to redefine them for you as a principle. And then I'm going to show you where they came from. And I want you to see it. I want to today to show you some basic examples of what I mean and how to find them and apply them uh, through this process. And when you get saved in our church, it starts like this. When you get saved in our church, we encourage you to get discipled. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, these form the basic building blocks of, of really the ABCs. Uh, in the Bible doctrine. Uh, there are 10 basic lessons. Lesson one deals with what happened the day you got saved and how you can know you can never lose your salvation. Number two, lesson number two deals with the two ordinances of the church that are in the Bible. The third lesson deals with your relationship now that you're saved to the Holy Spirit of God. The fourth one deals with now that you're saved, what is my relationship to the Word of God? The fifth one is now that I'm saved, what's my relationship to prayer? The sixth one is, now that I'm saved, what is my relationship to the will of God versus the plan of God? The seventh one is, you know, what is my uh, responsibility or what is my relationship now to the local church? The eighth one is, now that I'm saved, you know, what is my relationship with other people? How do I look at them? How do I deal with them? Both saved and both lost. Number nine is, is the aspect that now that I'm saved, what is the difference between tithe and offering and sacrificial giving and what is my relationship and my responsibility to giving to my church and of course the tenth one is the crowning one and that deals with the judgment seat of Christ see those are the ten basic fundamental building blocks that after you get saved we put on your life we lay on that foundation when you get those ten done then we can build the next level of building blocks up another couple levels that will interlock with the ones we just gave you. Uh, the next step we have is the seven things that changed the day you got saved. Now, that's a tremendous study. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all things become new. This takes you to the next level beyond discipleship. And what you're doing is now you're interlocking more bricks, spiritual bricks, on the foundational bricks that you already laid through discipleship. This one talks about when you got saved, what really changed about your soul? 
This one deals with when you got saved. What really changed about your affections? Your citizenship. The sealing of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. What really changed about your attitude? Now the Bible says that now that you're saved, you're an ambassador for Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean uh, when the Bible says that now your conversation should be up in heaven when you're still living down here on the earth? See, those, that's the next level. Now, when you learn these seven doctrines, then you'll also see how they will <coughs> develop into principles into your life. And you'll begin to see how that you take these principles <coughs> and they begin to guide you in your life. A, a, a rule of authority, a, a, a rule that you can follow for living the Christian life. I bet you couldn't find, <coughs> and don't just take my word for it, you all work with Christians. Tomorrow when you go to work and you just kind of gingerly get into a conversation about that, just ask them, do you know the, do you know the seven things that changed the day you got saved? Or don't even get that depth. Just say simply this. When you got saved, what changed about your soul? I bet you there isn't 10 Christians in this city that understand that. I bet you they don't. I mean, and the next option that you have that we build upon that course of levels is Paul talks about the seven things that God's people are not supposed to be ignorant of found in the Bible. Seven times the Bible says, be not ignorant of this one thing, and he tells you what it is. You know what those seven things are in Christianity? They're the most things that Christians know nothing about. Now, why is it we're saved, we're Christian, the Bible tells you seven things that we as Christians are not to be ignorant of, and those are the very things that we are ignorant of. Now, I know some of you are young Christians, you haven't got there yet, and you will. But it's an, it's an amazing thing to me. See, this is the problem. This is the problem. This is the problem. In a couple of weeks on Thursday night, we're going to go through God's systematic theology. I'm going to take you <clears throat> way up to some big 500-pound building blocks. But we're going to lay that Bible out from Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to, you're going to see how that thing puts together and comes together. And you're going to already, no matter how young of a Christian you are, and you may just be in discipleship, but if you've been around here long enough, you're already going to see how they begin to interlock together. That's our word today, interlock. Because that's what it does. And now, another level in the order of we do things around here will be our prayer groups. I think the prayer groups are probably the single most vital area in our church. We've been doing it for four years now. Bob Gregg has masterminded them into a solid doctrinal format that adds to the, you say it, interlocking things in our church. A couple of rounds ago, he did the wise man versus the foolish man based on what we did in Proverbs. And it adds to what we're doing here a little, there a little. He, he focuses on where we're going and what we're doing. And now each person gets the opportunity in that little group to actually teach a lesson, to lay out a particular doctrine that will form a principle. Now you're getting the opportunity to put back out what you've done if you want to. And I've watched some of you young Christians do that. And even some of you young ones have taken a prayer group this last round. Now, this round, guys, is just you're doing the book of Philippians. I don't know of a more solid book in the Bible. The book of Philippians is a great book. It's the only book that Paul, church that Paul wrote to that he had no issues with. 
That letter is the most intimate letter that Paul writes to all the seven churches that he writes to. And it's obvious that this church understands some great things and are doing some great things, and they don't have any real problems, issues. So you're going to find that Paul, instead of spending a lot of time correcting them, he just spends all of his time giving them great principles and doctrines. So in the book of Philippians, and there's great principles in Philippians, but the whole book is built around ten solid doctrines that form ten of the greatest Christian principles in your life and my life you could ever want. If I didn't have any other book in the New Testament, and all I had was the book of Philippians, I could get through almost every problem in life based on those ten absolute solid Bible doctrines that you ladies and you guys are going to be studying. I mean, it's just tremendous stuff. And I give, I give, I, 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 I see you guys doing that, and you're building it, and that's why I encourage you to get in a prayer group. So you got to get here at nine thirty. You know what? Don't stay quite out as late on Saturday night. Have a goal. It'll change everything about you. Because it'll put, it's the, it's the thing that will add to everything that God's already doing. Now, I want to show you some things today. And I want to, I give you these things all the time. Uh, the last 10 years, probably, uh, you probably have gotten hundreds of them if you're paying attention. And I know this is not, when I'm, these things that I give you and talk about, they're just not Bob's homespun remedy for problems in life. <clears throat> but they're principles that work. They're principles that have worked for me, and they're based on Bible doctrine. I got a notebook at home that's probably got five or six hundred of them in them. And I write them down when God gives them to me. I go over that book religiously, like I read my Bible. And on Thursday night and on Sunday morning, we will continue to build uh, you uh, to different levels. And like Isaiah 28, 9, and 10 says, we keep putting, the, we got the foundation down, we keep putting precept upon precept, keep a line upon line to keep it straight, and then we add to it. Here a little, there a little. And we keep building that wall. And week by week, you get the principles laid out that you can use in everyday life. Now, I'm going to start with something I gave you last week. And uh, this was a, uh, this one struck a nerve with a lot of people. A lot of people talk about that, uh, you know, that was, it was a great thing that they got out of it. But I told you last week, uh, and this is what I'm talking about. This is what principles do. They form concepts that you want to put into your life. Remember I gave you last week that I said that you don't go through issues in life. You grow through issues in life. That's a great principle. Everything in your life you, you, people go through tough times all the time. And many times it's things that we did that are stupid, okay? We've all done that. Many times it's things that, that somebody's trying to stop you or hurt you. But we all go through tough times in life. Nobody goes through life without heartache or problems. But the problem is we go through it, but we never grow through it. And I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, that is one of the great principles. Now, in life, the Christian life, there are going to be setbacks in your life. You just get set for it. There's going to be times in your life that you have a setback. I mean, I would like to tell you that it's not, but I would be lying to you. In the Christian life, and I think you all know that if you've been saved any length of time, there's going to be setbacks in your life. But I want to tell you, as a Christian, God will never give you a setback without giving you a comeback. You've got to be there to take it. And you take that comeback by growing through it. 
I heard a, a preacher last week, and I don't really like what he said, but he said one thing, you know, even a broken watch can be right twice a day. And, and he said something that I thought was so apropos uh, for where we're talking about. And I'm not sure what apropos means, but I think it's a place in Mexico next to Acapulco. But anyway, he said, you know what Christians do? We all go through tough times and we all have hurt in our life. Don't waste the hurt. Don't waste the hurt. Learn from it. Grow through it. Don't just go through the hurt. Don't waste the hurt. Grow through the hurt. Learn the principles that got you there. And learn the principles that will get you out of it. Now, last week I said you don't go through issues in life, you grow through issues. That's based on many places in the Bible. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, there it is. Paul talks about the fact that he's in bonds, he's in jail. And you know what he says? He says, being in jail only furthered the gospel. Now, most people would look at that as being in jail would, would end his ministry. But he grew through his adversity, and he saw the fact that there's nothing that will stop you except yourself. The devil can't stop you unless you give him place in your life. Your enemies can't stop you. The only people that can stop you is you. People walk around and they say, well, you know what, I'm really having a tough time with things that happened. You know, I had a bad thing here, a bad thing back here, and they struggled, and I'm just struggling with it, and I'm just, I can't get past it. You know what? When we focus on what is in the past, and don't focus on what God is doing now. You're never going to get past it. you got to learn to grow through it. I dare say that most of the bad times in our life, we went through them because we goofed up. You want to get mad at somebody, don't get mad at the person that you want to focus it on. Focus it on yourself for not following the principles. But that's where we're at today, you see. James chapter 1, verse 3 says, The trying of your faith worketh patience. And then he says over there in the next verse, in verse 4, he says, Let patience have her perfect work. You got to go grow through the things you go through. You don't just go through them. Boy, the greater example of that would be in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Daniel, when Daniel went into the captivity, he grew through it. He just didn't go through it. He grew through it. You think about David, uh, or Joseph, when he was sold by his brethren down into Egypt. And, you know, and he goes down there and he's totally taken from all of his family. Never know if he's going to see him again and all of the things. But he just didn't go through it. He grew through it because when he finally got mined up with his brothers, he said, you know what? You meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. Now, there's a guy who just didn't go through the experience in Egypt. He grew through the experience in Egypt. And he understood the perception because he said, to save many. You know, sometimes you've got to go through things in life to get to the place where you need to be so God can use you to get you to somebody else. Now, another thing, this is the second one. I got a bunch of these. Another thing that I gave you a couple, uh, maybe a month or so ago uh, we were, uh, I, here's the principle. If you live in the uttermost parts of the camp, you'll never get to the uttermost part of the world. Now, that's a principle. 
And that's a principle because we were studying back there uh, Numbers chapter 4 and Numbers chapter 11 and how they, the nation of Israel camped around the ark and the ark being the center of it all. And you had the three families. You had the families that worked around the ark and they represent the families in any church that dialed in and are bought into the ministry. Then you had the 12 tribes out there that were good people, but uh, they were farther out. And then you had the mixed multitude that were in the outer camp that always gave Moses the problems. And I shows you that the three inner people groups never got problems with Moses. They never got out of fellowship with God. They had invested their life in that ark and the ministry around that ark. But the other crowd that was farther out, they're always having problems because they're always hanging out with a mixed multitude. It's a great principle on association. And you will become who you hang out with. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And, of course, the great principle is if you live in the uttermost part of the camp, you'll never get to the uttermost part of the world. And I, I, I dialed that in that in Acts chapter 1 that our job is to take the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. But we never get there because we spend too much time in the uttermost part of the camp. That's a great principle on association, see. You are who you hang out with. The third one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that will he also reap. That is the doctrine of sowing and reaping. We all know that. But the principle is, not only do you reap what you sow, but the principle is, you always reap more than you sow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this idea that you're going to sow your wild oats when you're 18 or 19 and 20, and then when you get to 30, pray for crop failure, doesn't work very well. Doesn't work very well at all. And this answers a lot of questions. These principles really answer a lot of questions that I know they answer questions that I've had growing up in my life, and I'm sure they'll answer questions that you have in your life. I mean, you know, after 20 years of sin, 30 years of sin, you come to church and you want to do right, but you can't. You ever met people like that? I've met people that were, I believe, were as sincere as they could be of wanting to get sin out of their life. In their mind, they were done with sin. In their mind, they wanted to start coming to church. They did come to church, but they struggle. They struggle and they struggle and they struggle. And the reason why they struggle is a simple principle. You not only reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow. And you've got to realize that you just don't walk away from 20 years of sin. I've seen people who, who were, were into drugs, who had a terrible time getting out of drugs. Uh, they were into drugs for maybe 10, 15 years of their life, and then maybe they got saved, or maybe they were saved along the line someplace. A lot of them get saved in jail. And they get out and they, they know that it's time to turn their life around. They get married. Now they got responsibility. They start to learn some things. They want to turn it around. But they have the hardest time in the world. I see it with alcoholism. I see it with people who drink and drink and drink and drink, you know, and get to the point where that it consumes everything that they do. And they, they want to do what's right. They, they, they try to get it out of their life. They try to get away from it. And yet they struggle and they struggle and they struggle and they struggle. Now, I'm not saying you can't get the victory over it. There is a process to get the victory over. But here's the principle. You not only reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow. 
And just because you decide in your life after 20 years of sin, you're done with sin, that doesn't mean your sin's done with you. You don't allow those things in your flesh to take over your life. And then one day wake up and flux your spiritual muscles and snap it and walk away and say, it ain't ever going to bother me again. No, you don't do it that way. I'm telling you, there is a way to get out of it and there is a process and there is a victory and many of you have found the victory. But I'm telling you this right now. It's not a matter of when you get tired and you say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's in your flesh now. It's there in your life. And you may want out of it. You may want to get rid of it. It ain't ready to get rid of you. And you struggle. I know it. That's why I have the patience I have with people in those things. I have patience with them because I understand. I understand how hard it is. I realize, and I never look down on a person like that. You know what? By the grace of God, you know, we all could be in that situation. And the truth of the matter is we all got a history to us somewhere down the line. And it's a thing where you get self-righteous about that, you know, and uh, get so uh, right about things in the Bible. You know, you know, you can get so right about things in the Bible, you can become wrong because you become self-righteous. But I understand it's a struggle. And, of course, the doctrine on that is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. I gave you the principle. Here's the doctrine. It simply says a threefold cord is not easily broken. You can take a little piece of thread, you know, just something that you put a button on with or sew up a hem, and you can put that around your finger. You just snap that thing. Look at that little thread like a sin. You wrap that thread around your two fingers 40, 50, 60 times, and you'll die before you break it because a threefold cord is not easily broken. The more you put things into your flesh and into your life, the harder it is to get out of it. I'm not saying you can't. And certainly, I'm here to help you. But you need to understand the principle involved. Just because you're done with it doesn't mean that it's done with you. Sin never, le- le- sin, never, sin never leaves a man any better than it finds him. That's a principle, see? Now, here's another one I give you all the time. If it starts wrong, it ends wrong. That's one of the greatest principles in all the Bible. Now, people don't like this one. I've had people who, who got mad and, you know, and wanted to do their own thing, and, and they'll sarcastically throw that back up. Well, you know what Bob says, if it starts wrong, it ends wrong. I'll show him how you're doing with that. That's one of the greatest principles in the Bible. Now, on this one, instead of giving you 500 references and wearing out your finger and having to go back and buy a couple more pens back there, let's make it simple. You just show me one time in the Bible that when a man or a woman went his way from God's way, that it ever ended up right. How did it work for Cain? How did it work for Ishmael? How did it work for Esau? How did it work for Rehoboam? How did it work for Jeroboam? How did it work for Absalom? How did it work for Ahab? How did it work for Jezebel? It didn't work for anybody. Job 9.4, the doctrine says, Who hath hardened himself against him and prospered? And the answer is nobody. Absolutely nobody. And when it starts wrong and we do things outside of biblical principles, no matter what it may be, 
then uh, it usually is going to end wrong if God doesn't get in the process and fix it someplace along the line. Now, the next one. I said this a couple weeks back. The principle, great Christians will see and understand great opportunities. Now, in the Bible, doors in the Bible are likened to opportunities. And my point in all of that is, is that when you grow to the place in your life that you're aware of God in your life, when you not only have the Bible in your life, the wisdom of God, but you have the understanding of God, the ability to use the Word of God, then you see the opportunities that are around you. Now, you may be just a young Christian here, and you may be just trying to find your way around here and, and getting into the Word of God and all of that, but let me just say something to you. Everybody in this room, there's opportunities all around you. God will put people, circumstances, places, in right in your jurisdiction of where you're at, all around you, all day long. The problem is, we're so busy looking at everything else, we miss the opportunities. Hence, great Christians will see and understand great opportunities. The doctrine, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul said, a great door opened unto him. 2 Corinthians 2, 12, Paul said, a door was opened by the Lord. Opportunities. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul said, we had, God gave us a door of utterance, an opportunity to preach the gospel. Watch Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. It talked about the great Philadelphian church age was the church of the open door. You see, the problem is not the opportunities around us. The problem is we don't have the ability to see them. And we don't have the ability to see them because we don't operate the principles. We're not building on our foundation those things that we need. Well, the next one. And I harp on this one all the time. principles on leadership. I teach and believe with all my heart that everything rises and falls on leadership. I think that everything on this planet, certainly in Christianity, rises and falls on leadership. I also believe that real, real leadership is not about ability. I don't believe that real leadership is about ability. I believe that real leadership is about accountability. I believe that real leadership is about responsibility. I believe that real leadership is about making the hard calls when they're not the popular calls, but it's the right call. I believe real leadership is the steel in your backbone to face anybody, any crowd, any church, any time, any place when the Bible is a clear mandate on what the issue is and you take that stand based on the biblical principle. It made people, pastors today, they, they, they don't want to cause a stir. They don't want to cause a problem. Why, Jesus wasn't on this planet 15 minutes and he caused all kinds of problems. Who do you think you are? Amen. He came to tell you that Christianity wouldn't put everybody together. It was going to divide. Why, you don't read four verses in that first chapter in Genesis that the Bible says that God divided the light from the darkness and those two concepts haven't gotten along all through the Bible. Amen. No, no. You've got to understand that real leadership, biblical leadership, is to be able to make the tough call, the unpopular call, not to, not to pull back from it. And it doesn't have anything to do with somebody who just loves controversy or loves to cause a fight or cause a problem. No, no, no. It has to do with the fact that you may be the person who just hates controversy and you hate to get into a problem with people, but when it comes to the Word of God and right versus wrong, you don't have a choice. 
And a real leader will step up to the plate and he'll make that call, he'll make that choice, he'll make that decision, whether people like it or not. If it's the right choice based on the Bible. Now, the principle, that's the principle. Now, where's the doctrine? We looked at it. Remember I showed you the great story, Moses compared with Aaron. Remember I showed you Moses' leadership skills compared to Aaron's no leadership skills? You want to see it a little farther on, a great example of it? Contrast David and Saul. Look at David and Saul. David is a man after God's own heart. He's a great leader. The people loved him. His mighty men of valor were men that would stand in line to fight for him because they loved him, because he knew he was a man's man, and he, they knew he was the leader and would never leave them in a lurch. Saul, on the other hand, is one of the biggest cowards in the Bible. He's the one that should have went out and fought Goliath. He was the king of Israel. Why did he send a shepherd boy out? He's the one that should have been uh, dealing with all the issues in Israel. He's blaming all the other people for it. He's a coward from the get-go. And in everything in his life, he he's fails as a leader. You want to study two great leaders? If you want to study in the midterm period, you just want to study, study Joshua and study Caleb. Two of the greatest men in the Bible. Old Joshua, uh, he was the right guy to take him over when he got into the land. Moses was a great leader, but Moses wasn't a warrior. Moses was a great leader and he brought Israel so far, but what they needed on the other side of Jordan was a warrior leader. They needed somebody that understood battle tactics. They understood somebody that knew how to fight and knew that you didn't pay for the same ground twice. They needed somebody to understand that you pick your own ground to fight your battles on. Don't fight on the other great past ground if you can't, don't have to. He understood all those things. And Caleb, what can I say about Caleb? Well, the last time you find him in the Bible, he's probably 85, 86 years old. And he's going up the mountain to get his inheritance. And that mountain is just chock full of giants. He's going all by himself. And he's got a sword in his hand, and he's got his Bible in his other hand, and he's going to go up there and clean off that mountain. And he looks at that thing, and he says, that's my inheritance. I want that mountain. Now, it's big, tough stuff to claim things for God. It's something else to pull out that sword and hack your way through to get it. But that's what leaders do. That's the principle. That's the doctrine. Principles on finding a spouse. Oh, how many times have we talked about this one? No, I know all you single gals want to get married, and all you single guys want to get married too. So afterwards tonight, this morning, we're going to start a King James 6 to 11 dating service. We're going to fix it up for you. You don't even have to go online. How many times have I went through Genesis chapter 24? <clears throat> and in that great chapter, <clears throat> you got the story of of Eleazar, type of the Holy Spirit of God, going out, sent out by Abraham, type of God the Father, to find a bride, the church, for his son, Abraham's son Isaac, type of Christ. You got a beautiful picture of your salvation. <clears throat> but more than that, you have a great picture on the principles of how to find the right spouse. Now, when I'm done with this this morning, if you found yourself in a situation where you got the wrong one, uh, Jenny will have divorce papers back there. You can pick one up on the way out. No, no, no. That's not the answer. The answer is to understand where you're at, fix it from here, and move out. You can still turn the thing around uh, if you want to. But uh, these are great principles. And uh, 19 different principles on finding a biblical husband or wife based on that great story. When it all comes down, 
and it's all said and done, you get four great principles. And I've given you this before, but I want to show you where these things come from. I don't want you to think I just sit at home and think these up watching Walking Dead, you know, and Band of Brothers. No, no. There's a lot of good material in those, but that's not where I get it from. Now, there's four great quality principles here that you got to follow, all based on this doctrinal study found in Genesis chapter 24. Now, I don't know how many times in Genesis chapter 24, two, at least two or three, he makes it clear that the person has to be saved. That's not an, even an option. person has to be saved. 100% <clears throat> has to be saved. Now, I got to tell you, <clears throat> today in the world we live in, where there's no Bible doctrine and there's nobody ever caring about anything in the Bible, <clears throat> that's all they care about. A lot of them don't even care about that. It's your dance moves they're looking for. See? Right. <clears throat> it's all the other things. Yeah, I know. Talk to me about it. I'll tell you what, man. There's a side of me you've never seen before. <clears throat> I'd do a little moonwalking for you, but I'd never get the crowd back, so we won't go there. <clears throat> that's all people ever look for, if they even look for that. Now, somebody that's a little tore dialed in, you know, they'll, and I've, I've taught this for years, you know, the next thing is it saved, that's, check that off, that's good. But the next thing you want to look for, <clears throat> and some people do get here, is, okay, they're saved, but are they in ministry? I've had lots of girls tell me over the years and lots of guys tell me over the years, you know, I, I came to church to find a spouse because uh, you, uh, you, you just don't find, uh, you don't find uh, a husband or wife in the bars or you don't find them on the dating sites. And uh, I, I looked at them and kind of blinked and I said, well, they're probably the same ones that are in church on Sunday morning that if you were on Saturday night, you would have found them. But that's beside the point. But <clears throat> finding somebody in ministry that's saved is a good deal because that shows at least they're <clears throat> want to give to other people, and that's a good deal. So that's the second thing on your list. <clears throat> but now in marriage, <clears throat> in marriage, <clears throat> there's things that both parties need. A man has emotional needs, he has spiritual needs, and he has physical needs. <laughs> yeah, fickle needs, he does. <laughs> I, I, I got that after the woman. But anyway... A woman has the same three needs. <clears throat> now, they're not met the same way. They're not met the same way. I was at a Raytown ball game years ago, you know, watching it and playing up there in high school ball. I lived right down the street from it. <clears throat> and I used to go up there and watch them. And I was sitting behind a mom and dad. That boy was playing out there. I guess they were mom and dad. They had his jersey on with his name on it, with flags with a name on it, and shooting fireworks up and had his name blew out. I think they were his parents. <clears throat> And I, 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 I thought for myself, <clears throat> you know, I watched him. And the kid was a good ball player. He's a quarterback. <clears throat> and he was passing the ball and all that stuff, you know. And he, they snapped the ball to him. And he goes back. And the guy's coming out there. And something happened. I don't know what it was. And what happened was uh, the whole line collapsed. And he got clobbered by about 20 guys that just piled on him big time. And I'll never forget. I was sitting right behind him. The dad stood up and said, God, son, that's the way to hit him. The woman stood up and said, oh, they're going to kill my son. I thought, right there it is. There's the difference. This guy here says, get up and charge him. This guy here says, oh, my little baby boy, they're going to kill him. See, there's the difference. They don't look at things the same way. They don't deal with things the same way. So, you know, you want somebody that's saved, and then you want somebody that can minister to other people, but then you want to make sure they can minister to you. Nobody ever gets there. Some people, some people, a lot of people get to the first one. 
Some people get to the second one. Not too many get to the third one. I've never, I don't think anybody gets to the fourth one. You see, it's good <coughs> that if he's saved or she's saved, it's also good if they're involved in ministry. It's also really good if they're involved in ministering to you. But the real question is, am I boring you, Steve? Here, you're yawning there just like you're ready to go to sleep. Would you get a pillow off one of the couches up there? Steve's going to lay down here. Get a blankie. Get a blankie for Steve up there. <coughs> Tell you what, I look back there, I thought you were gas. I thought you were having a heart attack. I thought that man, that he, I thought that make a caveman homesick, man. I'll tell you. <laughs> so you, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta have them saved. You gotta have them to the place where that's good that they're 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 in ministry, and it's really great when they minister to you. But the real question is Acts chapter thirteen twelve. Are they ministering to the Lord? Amen. There's the key. Okay. You get those four lights going on and marry her. Woo! Marry her. I will, I do, I will, I am. Here we go. That's it, man. You see, those are principles based on a chapter that is a doctrinal chapter that lays that thing out through a process. And I'm telling you. Now, the next one. The next one will be time spent waiting on God is never time spent wasted. You've heard me say that many, many times. People today get in a hurry about everything. We're fast food Christians, man. We don't want to go in and sit down and eat. We want to go through the drive-thru when it gets the Bible. We, want to go to, we don't want to go to any just driveway because we're the type of Christians we are. We want to go to Burger King because when you go to Burger King, you can have it your way. Okay? And that's the kind of mindset we are in Christianity today. And we get in a hurry. One of the things you better learn very quickly in your Christian life is that God never gets in a hurry. And uh, the, the God coined a phrase someplace a long time ago that I've heard many, many times, just because, you have a, you know, uh, just because you have a lack of planning on your part doesn't necessitate emergency on God's part. And it's a thing where God never gets in a hurry. And the thing you've got to learn that when you have to wait on God, it builds some things in your life. And time spent waiting on God is never time spent wasted. I don't care what it is. Because God knows that uh, the real key that we need to have uh, in our Christian life is probably the greatest single aspect that all everything else interlocks into is the ability to wait on God. Because you know that's the hardest thing for you and I to do. Hey, I've been saved 45 years, and, and uh, it's, 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 it's hard for me sometimes. Because we see, uh, we see things that we just don't understand why God don't see it the way we see it. Well, Lord, look at this situation over here. How do you let that go on? Why don't you just kill them, God? I, I don't understand it. And God says, well, I'll tell you what, I was going to get to them on Tuesday, but today's Monday. I was thinking of killing you today. Would that work for you? God has to do things in his timing. Let me give you a great verse, great doctrine. Of course, we saw this in 1 Samuel chapter 3 last week, didn't we? Where Samuel keep going back to go back to sleep. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid thy servant pass on before us, and he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. Sometimes you get moving so fast and doing so many things, you just can't see what God wants you to see or hear what he wants you to say. Now, there's a process of growing in God's time and not your own time. You want to write what I'm about to tell you down. 
I've said it in other forms and other ways, but spiritual maturity is the one thing you can't do your own way. You may be able to do a lot of things and still claim that it's Christian, but the one thing you cannot do your own way is spiritual maturity. You can fake a lot of things in Christianity. You could be out fornicating last night, doing drugs, drinking booze, and show up today with a tie and suit on, a Bible on your arm. Everybody says, well, look at that guy. He's just great. You could be in the dredges of sin all last week and show up here and clean yourself up and, and show up and everybody thinks they're just fine. There's a lot of things we can fake in Christianity. I'll tell you the one thing you can never fake, spiritual maturity. Amen. Can't fake it. You just can't. Because it has to be a process of waiting on God. And when you have to wait on God, that's when you learn some things. Now the next one. The choices in life that we make. You've heard me say this before. There's two aspects to them. And the decisions that we make. The principle is short term and long term. The principle is there's some things that we can do short term that we don't even think about, but there's long-term consequences. And because we're not paying attention to using the principles, we violate the principles, and we get married when we're 18 or 19 or 20 years old before we're ready to get married. We have kids long before we're ready to get married. Or we get into a situation that uh, we shouldn't get into before we get married. And then because it's all forced upon us and we don't have any church, don't have any Bible, don't have anything to help us get there, then we wonder why five, six, seven, eight years down the line a marriage doesn't work. Wonder why it splits up. Wonder why we have the problems we have. That's because in every decision that you and I make, there's going to be a short-term consequence and there's going to be a long-term consequence. Not using the biblical principles in the short term will always lead to a disaster in the long term. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And the great doctrinal teaching on that is, is, uh, is uh, Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Mishael. When Sarah said, Abraham, I'm barren. I can't have any kids. I'll tell you what. You take my handmaid, Hagar, and you give me a child through her, and it'll be just fine. That sounded great short-term. Didn't work out too good long-term, did it? Because after the baby's born and Sarah can't have one and, and, uh, and, uh, and Hagar, like any women, two women, you know, and she's going to hold the other baby over her and that other little thing and Sarah gets out of control and she gets mad and it, short-term, it split Abraham's family. Short term, he cast out the bond woman and cast out Ishmael and they're gone from the family. Short term, it ruined his family. But my God, folks, long term, 4,300 years ago, we're facing the same long term problem because from Isaac came the nation of Israel and from Ishmael comes the nation of Islam. And what we got going on in the Middle East right now, where the Muslim nations want to wipe out the Jewish nations, and all of those nations have lined up against the Jew, and they got leaders getting up and saying, we're going to wipe Israel off the map, goes right back to that decision that Abraham made. Your decisions you make are not only going to have short-term consequences, brother, they're going to have long-term consequences. Unless God does something. See, you use these principles before you make choices. You keep 
you get saved, you lay a foundation, and then you build the building blocks, the ABCs, and you interlock everything you learn and build upon that course, keeping it straight. And you get to the point, the higher you go, the more spiritually mature you become. And then you get to a principled life where you make your decisions and make your choices and you look at circumstances based on principles. Now, here's another one, dealing with families. You hear me say this all the time. You hear me say that, and this is based on many, many counseling experiences that I've had over the years, but you hear me say, your children don't cause problems in the home. Your children just reveal the problems that already are in the home. And that's a great principle. It is no truer principle anywhere on this planet. And the example in the Bible is clear. We already looked at it. Abraham and Ishmael is one of them. How about Solomon and Rehoboam? How about David and Absalom? How about Jacob and Esau? All through the Old Testament with the leaders of the nation of Israel. One of my favorite examples that prove this point is, is, uh, is uh, Jacob. Remember Jacob? Remember how he deceived Isaac to get the blessing over his brother? What did he do? He got a coat of skin, a lamb coat, because Esau was a hairy man. And Jacob was a plain man. So he puts on this hairy coat. Jacob is almost blind. His father is almost, Isaac is almost blind, his father. So Isaac goes in, gets his mom involved in it, and gets a little stew here because his daddy likes deer meat. And he brings it into him, and daddy's almost blind, and Isaac reaches up, and he, he reaches, and he feels the, 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 the wool on the, on the lamb, and he thinks it's the hair on his chest, and he's deceived. Isaac walked out and said, well, I did all right on that. Boy, I'll tell you what, that was brilliant, wasn't it? That old lamb skin boy put that thing on me, and I walked in there, and he couldn't tell it, and he reached up and felt that thing, and I got that deception off, boy, did really good. 35 years later, Jacob has 12 boys. They hate Joseph. They take Joseph and they're going to kill him. But then one of them says, ah, we can't do that. Let's just sell him to the Midianites. And so they say, well, what are we going to tell our daddy? You know what they did? They went and got a lamb and killed that lamb, put the blood all over Joseph's coat and clothes and brought it back and said, daddy, some evil beast got him. He deceived his daddy with a lambskin. They deceived their daddy with a lambskin. Where do you think they learned that? Lambskin school? <laughs> Deception 101 school? Jacob is called Jacob because Jacob means schemer. Child gets to be eight. I've never understood this. Child gets to be 18, 19, and 20. They get involved in the world, you know. I've had them in drugs. I've had them in booze. You know, I had them have two or three illegitimate kids. And they get into all kinds of problems and all that stuff, you know. And the parents always throw a fit. The parents always have a heart attack. They always get mad. They get mad at the kid. They get mad at the circumstances. I've always asked myself, why? Why should, why when we raise our children and they turn out the way that we obviously have raised them, when they go south and they cause all kinds of problems, why do we blame them? 
We train them to be what they are. You see, there's a principle, a complete breakdown of biblical principles. No wisdom of God, no understanding with God. Now, I understand that some people, you know, come in and, and they, 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 they get into church and they already got the issues going in life. I'm not talking about that. The people I'm talking about, I've seen all of my life. Almost every one of them have been in church Sunday, Wednesday night, and everything that goes on, and they still lose their kids. That's the mark of an unprincipled family, an unstructured family that produces unprincipled kids. And in many cases, they've been in church all of their life. It's simply, you ask yourself, how does that happen? How does that happen? Let me show you. It's the same way when you and I went to school. When you and I went to grade school or high school, you had one man at the top who enforced all the rules and oversaw all of the disciplinary action. He watched and he looked over the teaching and the curriculum was taught by the teachers. He was called the principal. And in a family, wisdom is the principal thing. And the father, together with the mother, Form for their family what the principal did in our school system. My school days in school, in grade school, my, my principal was Mr. Lowe. In high school, it was Mr. Wolford. And they made sure that everything was done in compliance with the state of Ohio school system. Back then, following the rules was not an option. You know what the greatest fear was when I was in school? The greatest fear we all had in school was being called down to the principal's office. It wasn't necessarily the teacher, though that was bad. But you knew you were in deep doo-doo <laughs> when that loudspeaker came over and said, crackle, crackle, send Bob Alexander down to the principal's office. Well, I felt like you talk about the green mile. And back then, they had corporal punishment. They whacked you. We had big schools that were quiet. And when somebody went down to the principal's office, everybody tuned in <laughs> for the whack. And it sounded like a 30-out-6 going off. <laughs> and some of those principals had thick ones, and then they got the bright idea that they drilled holes in them to make it even more educational <laughs> and the thing that we heard I, I feared when he went down there he would say bend over and grab your ankles and boy you got it if it was just a kind of a not so bad offense it was one crack you got three cracks and everybody in the rest of the school had their head down because they, they, they you feared the principles you know what's wrong with Christianity today? No fear of the principles. No fear getting whacked by the principles when you don't do it. And you also know that's what's wrong with the school system today. I read last week on the news that Kansas was going to reinstate corporal punishment, and a whole nation went berserk. <laughs> thinking of a bunch of redneck, backwoods people from Kansas that are going to start whipping kids in school. Now, I don't think they ever will. But I'll tell you what, 
The problem is there's no respect for the principles anymore. Back then, you, you had to follow the book. Not only and for us as, as, as father principles in our family, we have to be in compliance with the Word of God, the doctrine that forms for our children the, the Bible principles. And then we have to enforce them. I, I'm telling you, you got kids, you got to make a book on biblical principles. You ought to write down the principles that you learn. You ought to sit down with your kids, have them make their own book of principles. In the Christian life and in raising your kids, there's one word that is absolutely vital. It's called documentation. So many times you have to discipline your children and they look at you and are not sure and you've got to go through this whole process while you're doing it. We started the people ministry. And I told the people right out of the chute, you know what, this was something that, was, that anybody could have got in it, but it was something that you're going to basically sign your soul away for what you're going to get. And I actually wrote up a contract with about 20 things on the back that they had to adhere to. They had to sign that contract, date that contract, initial to every one of those, and, sign, and then turn it back into me. Now, you know why I did that? I did that for documentation. Because I know human nature. Down the line someplace, when somebody didn't do what's right, and I have to hold them accountable. You know what they always say? Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> you ever kid ever say that? Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, no. Now, in the people ministry, there is no. I did. Because I pull out the contract and simply say, what part of this did you not understand when you signed it? Documentation. And you take the principles that we're giving you. And you put them in a book, make them your book, and then make them the book that your children sit down and you go through the principles. Okay, kids, last week we learned these principles. And then when your kids violate them, you don't have to go through this thing. You open a book and you simply say, what part of this didn't you understand? You document. You document. You document for them a, a principle of life that they have to follow. Now, these are some of the examples of how, how you do it and how we do it. All of that you've had, heard me say many times, uh, are basically the principles of learning based on the doctrines. And as you learn here, you make a book of those principles. You study them. You use them. I can't conceive somebody been saved 5, 10, 15, well, I'll give you first 5, 10, 20, 30 years and not have a book of principles. It's one of those things that document what you're learning. Build on your foundation. The day you got saved, the building blocks of Bible doctrine, right teaching form the plumb line that keeps us straight, and we interlock those concepts. And Bible doctrine, in spiritual maturity, the higher the wall goes up, the more spiritually mature you are. But the straighter the wall has to be, and the stronger the wall has to be. And Bible doctrine will interlock like the bricks on a wall and form the strength for you, the spiritual stability that you'll see in men and women who have a principled life. Then as you continue to grow and get into all the things here that help you grow and you add to them uh, on a daily basis, here a little, there a little, and in time, become, uh, you come here and God sees those five areas of character in your life and it begins to develop them like Samuel had. In time, God builds you then a sure house. 
The first aspect of a sure house is your body, strong, spiritually fit for the things of the Lord. The second aspect of that sure house is your family, grounded in the Word of God. All the family following and understanding the principles together. The line keeping them straight, just like it keeps you straight. And then thirdly, the sure house is the church that God gives us. The house of God, which is built and based with families. This strong church will only be as strong as, one, the leadership of it, and two, the people that are in it. And then 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 20, as we ended last week and where we end today. Then God will establish you in the ministry as a vital part of what he's doing. Not on your ability, but on your, the doctrine and the principles you've focused in on in your life. And you live by them. And you build them into your family. That is the key. That's how you do it. That's what you do with the principles that you take and you get. That is called the durable riches that we talked about the other night and Thursday night. How it all comes together. Well, we'll hold up there. Next week.